Ladies and gentlemen, your next speaker is Jack Bailey, the uh, TV star of Queen for a Day. Jack made this talk in Dallas at our state convention, or Texas State Convention, in 1959. He was introduced by Horace Ford. So he has recourse to correct anything that I might say. I wanted to familiarize myself with him, so I went to head Twyla to go to the library in Austin and get a book called Outstanding TV Personalities. And uh, after getting a list of his different occupations or things in the past that he has done, I told Twyla, I said, well, I can't see how the man ever got sober. I, uh, if the riot is a spice of life, well, man, he's got spice. <laughs> and he's a writer, and he has a new book coming out for along on, for those who would like to paint. And I'm going to get one of those, because that's something I... I like to enjoy. It's relaxing, and, and I'm going to wait for Jack's book. He's been an artist. He loves to paint, and his home has many of his paintings. And he's personally said that any time you're in Hollywood, he'd like to show them to you. So we'll all be out, Jack. <laughs> he's been a salesman. He'd have to be that. He's been an MC on the radio. I think he was uh, imitated the voice of uh, some animal on Walt Disney's program. He's been a manager for Ralph Bellamy. He's been a tax expert. He's done oil paintings. He's born in Hampton, Iowa. Doesn't say when. <laughs> but I don't know when his queen for the day started, but I know when it should have started. It was in 1940 when he married Carolyn. We are grateful to have a man uh, such as Jack to come with us and share some of the hospitality that this group of AAs in Dallas have made possible. I, I'm thrilled uh, with the opportunity uh, of just saying how much I owe to Esther and some of the ones in the very beginning in May 44 when they took me into their family of AAs, the Twelve. And it's, it's marvelous to me that uh, this wonderful crowd can come here tonight and we can break bread together and express our gratitude that because of the spirit and the, and the wonderful, uh, powerful efforts of many, that the AAs of Dallas have grown and grown and grown. And I look forward to a great conference in Houston next year because they're not going to let Dallas outdo them, I don't think. There was an old bishop in the Episcopal Church a long time ago called Bishop Ken Farley. And one day he was on a Pullman car, taking a trip to the West Coast from New York, I think. He was a large man, about six, six or seven, and he had great difficulty in, in finding comfort on, on a Pullman car. And as he retired one night, he put his shoes under the berth there to be shined and the next day, the porter came to him when he was by himself and said, Are you a general? And he said, No. Well, are you an admiral? 
And he said, no. And he went on down the line. When he said, Mr. What is you? He said, I'm a bishop. Well, he said, I knew you was one of those face cards. <laughs> I want to present to you a real face card. We love him for all he's done to help AA maintain its rightful place in our country. Jack Bailey. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Queen Esther, I would like also to thank this wonderful committee that has made this long wait possible. I've been hearing about this Texas conference for three months. I left our home last Thursday to be here on time. And now that the moment is here, I wish to God I'd stayed home. <laughs> I want to thank publicly Al Badger for all those collect calls. <laughs> I want to thank Anita for her wonderful speech last night. And I want to thank all of you for coming tonight. This is a, a festive occasion. It, it's, I, I'm just sorry that one by one you can't get up here and look down at these happy, wonderful faces in this joint. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe that in Dallas, Texas, on a Saturday night, everybody can be this quiet and happy. But it's true, and it's an inspiration, believe me. Now... I would like to qualify the remarks I'm going to make tonight in just one way. But no matter what I say or how I say it, I'm in no way making light of Alcoholics Anonymous, what it means, and what it's meant to me. And in case there is any doubt in your minds whether or not I'm one, I am. Is that clear? <laughs> and I have chosen for my sermon tonight, dear friends, <laughs> what I like about AA. Now, I could make this speech in one word and just say everything and sit down. <laughs> But I like a captive audience like this. You paid your money, you ate your food, now you sit there. <laughs> and I could actually run this thing on into Monday noon. Get on. Anita has said, well, I did my stunt. Get up now and shake your head off yourself. Charlie said, oh, God, I'm worried about tomorrow. And I've been giving them the one day at a time bit up here as I rattled my own teeth. But it's an inspiration to be here, and I can't tell you what an honor it is. And this is one of the things I like about AA. Such a delightful bunch of ladies, such beautiful ladies. Not one would I ever get a call to 12-step. Look at here. I never go out on beautiful women calls. I get them dirty old men. <laughs> if any of you Southern Bells need a little extra help, I'll see you right after the services tonight. There. 
Well, the first thing I liked about AA, and I mean it, and so do you, was that it was not a whole group of social workers or people coming around that was going to pity the poor, sodden, drunken old man, in my case. Well, it was a bunch of people someplace in the East or someplace in Ohio or someplace who was just like us. They couldn't handle it either. And they fiddled and fooled and fumbled around for a long time till they found out what worked for them. And then they gave that whole bit to me all free. So I liked it right off the bat that there was no trick theories, no no social work, nobody going to come and read the knobs on my head, and God knows I had them then. A few whips and jingles thrown in, but it was a whole bunch of other people that couldn't handle it. And I liked that right off the bat because I didn't never know what they were talking about, and I'm sure they didn't know what I was talking about, so I liked the whole thing right off the bat because nobody knew what they were talking about. Except that I knew that the more I talked about something I didn't know what I was talking about and listened to what they were talking about back, I got so confused that I thought I believe we'll try it a while. <laughs> and I liked that. I liked that right off the bat. And I'm still confused. And I think that's what keeps this whole thing going. If they ever get it organized, we'd be dead. Every time you want to find out something at this conference, they ask you to go to three different guys, and you can never find anybody. <laughs> so pretty soon you go ahead and do it yourself. But right off the bat, I liked it about that sickness. And you know, it, it, it was great. In our business, the theater, <laughs> TV, <laughs> oh my God, and uh, there's a place for your serenity. <laughs> and radio and all of it, we like to get billing, you know, top billing. We're always trying to get top billing. And I found out how sick we were, and I learned that the first of the program, when you first got on it, or any other show business, if you can get third billing, you're getting pretty good billing. And do you know that us drunks have got it? We got third billing right off the bat. Because we're as third as sick as we can get, and that's good and sick, and I like it. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. Now there's heart, there's cancer, and there's us. <laughs> I was delighted, as long as I had to be sick, to be just damn near dead as I could get. <laughs> And you realize what's going on in this room right now? Every one of us is an alcoholic who's pretty near dead and we're sitting here laughing like hell about it. <laughs> and you know what makes it better? We'll never get over it. <laughs> Sicker in hell, we'll never get well. <laughs> and I'm tickled to death. You know, there's great strides made in the cancer cures. Everybody's working on it, and it's just coming along fine, and they're going to get it yet. They're working on it fine. You get a heart attack, you know, the old doctor comes to you and says, Oh, my God, lay down. Don't lift the book. Don't put that cover back. Let somebody do it. Don't breathe. Shut up. Sit down. Don't smoke. Don't do this. Oh, don't go to the bathroom. We'll bring it to you. Don't go. You can't do anything. You just lay there. 
And then pretty soon he visits you and he comes in one day and he says, I'm sorry, that's about all I can do for you. You're bad sick. Don't ever do anything. Don't you have any more fun? Don't get to laughing too hard. You'll die. Don't go upstairs. Don't go downstairs. Don't do hard work. Don't chase the neighbor's wife. Don't do anything. You'll keel over dead. Goodbye. Away he goes. They send you a hell of a bill and there you lay. And then us. <laughs> really? Now, this wasn't made up by AAs or, or, or Lushes or drugs. This is from John Hopstein's University and the Yale Clinic, all the, the big medical heads, you know. They figured this out. The drunks didn't. You can't trust them. They don't know what they're talking about anyway. But here's these big double domes. They go to school all their life, and they find out, boy, that the, the guys are sick. And you know what you have to do? You have to get the hell scared out of you, and you have to phone somebody. The third worst disease in the world. Boy, how lucky can we get? And you call some old dingy guy or some old gal, and they come over and say, well, don't do what I did. <laughs> don't do as I say. Just stick around a while and see what happens. And they go out and slam the door. He said, what the hell did he say? And he knows what he said. He's waiting out in the car for you to come out and look for him. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, then who's sorry that they're an alcoholic? I'm tickled to death. Pretty near dead, and I never had more fun in my life. Never started living till I pretty near died. You think this thing isn't crazy and mixed up? <laughs> Get that one. And then we got better billing in the cuckoo department. In the cuckoo department, I said. You think that sanity clause in there isn't something? We get number two billing there. Isn't that great? Just about dead and pretty near nuts. There isn't a whole lot left, is it? <laughs> and the biggest cause of insanity is the social disease starting with S. And I'm of the opinion that if the people were more sober, they wouldn't have caught that. <laughs> I see that we're faced with an evil group tonight. <laughs> and also the shoe fits. But what a wonderful thing to behold. 1,500 people laughing and scratching, ruining their kidneys on this coffee. <laughs> Getting the whips and jingles. I shake more on coffee than I did whiskey, I think. I didn't wait long enough for whiskey to get really set in with the shakes. I never did have the shakes, actually. I was odd in more ways than one. I used to have the lips. They <laughs> couldn't wear dumplings for 15 years. Who can chase his sleeve down the hall trying to get those in? So I just quit wearing sleeves. That was simple. There's so many little things you can do now that you're sober and pretty near dead and nuts. Cufflinks. You know, an amazing thing happened to me when I sobered up for, I don't know, it took a couple of days, but I could clean my teeth in the morning, which is a wonderful thing. I used to make the morning art, just like all of you. We had the faucet here in the 
chopper there, and he... Yeah! Every morning! <laughs> Those old drunks with the false teeth, the lucky ones, they pull them out and put them back in there. <laughs> about that insanity clause, you think we're not nuts, I'll expose a little thing. You know, you're supposed to get up at these meetings and say what you were like, what you're going to be like, and what you hope to do, and how far you're going to go, and a lot of that. I, I, uh, I'm not going to tell you uh, what I was like. <laughs> you know, that's none of your business. <laughs> Hell, how can I tell you? I don't remember. And the reports are still coming in. <laughs> and if half of that's true, I'm going to make a note of it and sell it to Confidential. I was quite a kid there. <laughs> you know, they need some true material there. <laughs> but I got a right to be an AA, if that's what you mean. But I used to make a route before I'd go to the show. Uh, I'd go down the... The, the hill there a little bit till I'd get around the curve and guess who wouldn't be looking out the bathroom window and I could take me a little belt right there so that I'd quit shaking so darn hard. I was scared to get out on the main highway till I'd had a few little things because I was emotionally disturbed every morning <laughs> from too much vitamin or something. And I would take a little uh, honk on the, on the jug and then I'd stop and take another little honk and then I'd finally get out in the highway with those zooming things going by and then I'd get up into a little hill way at the end of the road and there I'd have at it this was about 8 o'clock in the morning uh, every morning I like to die on Sunday but I as I'd go to work so I had a certain spot there were no homes around there was nothing there and I could I always had I didn't want anybody to know that I drank in the morning except I had a big bottle opener on the dashboard. I had a bottle of Coke in the back. I lived, can I tell you, I had chasers and everything at eight in the morning up in this dingy hill. So I have the remorse that we all have, and I would swear off, and I would say, what is happening to me, until I'd get about four more down, and thought, well, I'm doing pretty good here, he said. <laughs> and it wasn't a bird screeching, that's a beautiful song up there, and I'd sing with the birds, and visit with the grass, you think that insanity isn't something so day in and day out I'd go up there hang dog and everything and I'd get enough of that flit in me so I could get back down to work and get a couple of doubles like a man ought to do you know walk right in there and take it but one morning after I'd been going up to this certain spot for about a year I'm almost ashamed to admit this. You guys shouldn't do this drunk. But anyway, I went up there, and there was a great big electric light truck and five or six guys in my spot at 8 o'clock in the morning. They were sitting in there, and they were reading the paper in that truck. And you think I'm a normal man? I went right down to a telephone pay station. I called the electric light company. Says there's eight guys up at the end of North Beachwood Drive dogging it. They should be working. They're not working. They're up there reading the paper. 
gone. And they said, they're not supposed to go to work till 9 o'clock. What's the matter with you? And he hung up. <laughs> well, there's a real sane thing. I could have gone a block down, you know, or a block up or a block over or just sat there. But no, I had to call the light company to move it. That proved it. Well, I went down about a block from there, and there was a bunch of ivy up, and I thought, well, nobody can see me here, so I drank anyway. Had to by then. I was so disturbed at these idiots who were dogging it up there. So I drank a thing, and I didn't want anybody to see the empty Coke in there. Uh, well, I carried a pocket full of uh, breath killers. I had cloves, parsley, bread, and something. Oh, those nickel chasers. And later a guy told me I smelled like a fruitcake for two years. <laughs> So I got down, I finally got the brandy down to me, and I put the Coca-Cola bottle down on the curb so nobody would see it in my car and be suspicious of me, and I heard this fishwife from way up above say, Get out of here, you G.D. drunk! That was the lowest moment of my life. That was kind of when they turned the button on me, because, you know, I thought, you know, that old bag put the shoes on me a little bit? I was ashamed of that. I wouldn't admit it, especially after I had enough in me. But I believe that was one of the little turning points. It took a couple of years later for me to find the corner to turn. <laughs> but I don't remember, and I hope I always remember, the morning of my low, 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 low. It was a Sunday morning, and my wife was out of the house, and this will prove to you that I meant it. And I thought, I'm going to see how long I can go this morning without a drink. I was around the clocker, not one of those periodics. My wife, I'm sure, was at a church of her choice at that time. She tried many of them, searching for something for this idiot she was living with. She still says that sometimes. Anyway, she was gone, and I thought I'd see. Well, I tried a cup of coffee, and that, that liked to kill me, and I thought, well, my goodness, that caffeine certainly is shattering in the morning. Then I smoked a cigarette, and that made me dizzy, and I thought, isn't that awful? I must inhale too deep. That's the thing I must watch. I'll go outside and try and get some air, and I remember I went outside. I put my arm around the post on the porch and stood there a minute and liked to die at that fresh air and found out when I sobered up there never was a post on our porch. <laughs> Something held me up. And then I went in, and you have all heard the gag of how much do you drink? The guy says, I drink a quart. And the other fellow says, well, for goodness sakes, I spill about that much a day. I went to spilling that morning for the first time. I had a jiggle glass as big around as a, as a kumquat or whatever that is. About this big, and I couldn't get it to my head. It's funny to talk about now, but it was a desperation shot then, and I liked to die. I couldn't get the thing up to my head. It was zinging past here and all over here. It slobbered all over so finally I got a little bit down, enough to warm me up, and thaw me out, and I thought, this has got to be it. Holy macro, what's going on now? And I remember the guy who'd been hanging around the show, he was a nice clean old man, and I am not too fond of clean old men. <laughs> Even yet. 
But he had once said to me, I belong to a certain organization. Someday you may want to call me. And I can tell you how people really drink. I took a bottle of beer once, buddy, and I was drunk for five years, etc., etc. And how I avoided him is how you have avoided people like him before you got here. But the man came to my mind that day, and I thought I'll call that nice, clean old man. But not alone. I had to have an audience. I couldn't just do it, you know, on my own. I waited for my wife by marriage to return. <laughs> One person is better than no audience at all, you know. So I said to her in my most dramatic John Drew voice, Caroline, <laughs> listen to this call. So I went over and said, I calling you about that organization you talked about. I am scared into death. I'm afraid I'm going to die. I don't know what to do. And he said, Jack, I've been waiting for this call for a couple of years. And he said, you're going to make it unanimous, unanimous, if you admit that you can't handle it. Everybody else knows it. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm scared to death. Believe me, now this is what I liked about AA and it's what you liked about it. I said to him, what in the name of God can I do? And he said, go out in the kitchen and take a drink. <laughs> I said, you're not listening. <laughs> Just got through saying I'm about to die of fright here and I can't handle this junk and I don't know what to do. What do you mean? And he said, go out and take a drink, your head's rattling so I can't hear words you say and I'll be right over. Well, I did the best I could to explain that to my wife, who by then was about up to here with me. And she said, as wives will, well, I hope he's right. <laughs> but the thing happened then that I shall never forget. She said, after you made that call, 20 years come off of my face. That was the first good, decent, honest thing I had done in years. I admitted to somebody that I was scared. Whew, and I felt it. And I went right out and took a drink. I imagine two. And over they came laughing and scratching and they said, now we're going to be able to run this Alcoholics Anonymous without you. Is that clear? <laughs> That was my first shock. <laughs> and then, as they pointed out to you, I'm sure, they said, you need us, but we don't need you. <laughs> and I said, you gentlemen are extremely unkind. Here I am, bearing my soul and most of my body, and you're not kind to me at all. And with that, I said, I think there's somebody at the back door. If you'll excuse me, I'll see. <laughs> And then I came back in, and I said, I'm, pardon me, I'm very interested in what you're saying, but I think the phone upstairs is ringing. <laughs> you ain't got no phone upstairs. <laughs> and I made about three trips like that, and these craftsmen said, bring the jug in here, Dad. <laughs> That's when I learned it takes a thief to catch a thief. 
they're wonderful. That's the, that's what I like about AA. They they knew what I was doing, and then they pointed out, and I could have killed them, but they pointed out about nine places I never thought of the hiding place. <laughs> See that this birds of a feather thing. They were getting in in there good, you know, and they keep saying this and that, the other thing. So finally, I could see I was uh, <laughs> kind of losing here. They had an answer for just about everything, but I'm sure that this would never have entered any of your minds. But I had one more thing that I wanted to say to them, and I'm sure nobody here has ever said it. But I said to them, "You don't understand. My case is different." <laughs> And I got it back from that, and then they said, "Would you care to explain that briefly?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes." And I bet you a lot of you thought the same thing. I said, "I am afraid to quit drinking. I know just as sure as I'm standing here that if I quit drinking, I'll die." And he said, "No one has ever heard of anybody dying because they did not drink." That's all. I begin to see the light. So I said, I'm going on my on the road, and when I get back, I'm with you all the way. And he said, Now don't be the biggest and the best AA we've ever had. Don't start tearing down beer signs. Don't get too excited about this. Just take it easy and go to a few meetings and just open what's left of your knob, and we'll see if you, maybe you don't want it. Maybe you don't. And then I thought, what the hell are you doing, talking me out of it and just trying to join the thing? <laughs> and they said, when you go on the road, just try to simmer down, and then when you get back, we'll start our walk. <laughs> and I didn't know for sure what they meant by that walk, but I do now. I walked from 33 to 83,000 miles in three days. <laughs> both up and down, sideways, and trying to get across the room without the use of a wall. <laughs> but I decided to be a brave man and quit like that, and it liked to kill me, but I guess it worked, and it took. And I hope I never forget until they lower me down to Forest Lawn, where I've got a free plot already promoted. <laughs> I hope I never forget the agony and the suffering and the whips and the jingles and the stupidity that I got myself into until the day they lowered me down. I hope I never forget. But it was a wonderful feeling to know that these guys had done it and everybody was with me. Nobody's against me. I had been a joiner. I had joined everything. My wife had sent me to a lot of things to meet other people. My God, did you go through that too, fellas? They got to go join the. I could you join the Kiwanis now? We tried that a while. They drink. Go to the Rotary Club now. They drink too. Well, that's too bad. And try the Masons. My gosh, in every place you join, they hustle you. You know, right? And I'm not sure, but what one of those Masons reached up under my apron once. But there was a thing. That <laughs> Every organization is after something. And you know, in the Rotary Club, I joined the Rotary Club, they're more anonymous than in AA, because if you call anybody by his last name there, they cut your tie off and give you a $15 fine to put in the poor fund for the kids. At the same time, he's giving you a car, and says, I use the used car a lot down here, I'm like, can I steal the trade that clunker in here, driving over to the 
or I know a good dentist up the street thinks your teeth look black when it's good to see him. You know, everybody's hustling. But not in AA. Now, to get in the Rotary, to get in the Masons, to get in the Elks, to get in the Knights of Columbus, to get in anything, they, they do a survey, you know. They look you up, and they call everybody but the FDI, and they check you. And they find out that this, uh, we can overlook that, and this, you can overlook that. And finally, if you're lucky and you got enough friends and they need a new member and some more money, you get in. You can join and they give you a badge and you learn the songs and you get drunk again and go home. If you got any brains at all, you get drunk won't even go in. But in Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't investigate you. They don't want you in here if you're good. you got to be pretty near no good to get in here. Because <laughs> you can't be an alcoholic and be real nice. <laughs> so that's what I like about AA. you got to be pretty near dead, you got to be pretty near nuts, and you got to be no good or they don't want you. <laughs> and that was easy for me. But it's a wonderful thing because everybody here cannot cast the first empty jug because they're here for the same thing you are. And you know, everybody comes to AA meetings because they want them. It's the most wonderful feeling in an AA meeting. I know a preacher, so damn mad he wasn't a drunk when he was a kid that he can hardly stand it. <laughs> and he said he'd give anything he'll ever get, both on this earth and the next earth. If he could ever get his congregation to say the Lord's Prayer and mean it, like a bunch of ex-drunks. Everybody's here because they want it. Everybody's happy. Some people drove here 59 miles. Here. They milk the cows and come up here tonight. You don't have to come to these things. You've you got to go to some of the places. You've got to go to the Rotary Club to find you. You've got to go to the Mason to forget the handshake. <laughs> You've got to do all those things. But here you just come in and say, how are you? And somebody says, none of your business, and walk away. And you think, what? <laughs> and then they win. And nobody out that door cares who comes in here tonight. There's no block sniffers in Dallas. They don't come up and say, how are you? And Reverend Tom was talking about the hypocrites in the church. Hell, if you've got hypocrites in AA, you can smell them. Once I heard him talk, he was a colored fellow in, uh, in Hollywood. He was wonderful. He's from the D.O. God, I forgot where I am. <laughs> if Governor Faubus is here, you'll excuse me. <laughs> this colored fellow said that he was down and watching the Mississippi River one time. <laughs> he said, I was drunk and I got to watching those sailboats on the Mississippi. And he said, I would watch a boat, it would go down the river a little bit, and the wind would change, it would go back the other way, it would go the other way, and the wind would go the other way, and he said, my God, I'm just like one of them boats, 
I go this way a little while, I drop and go the other way a little while, I drop and go the other way a little while, I ain't getting no place, I gotta get in on that A. <laughs> he was some speaker, and he said, I want to tell you about the first 12-step call I ever made. My sponsor said, it would be all right if the man that I was going to call on was real sick for me to give him just a little nip to straighten him out. So he said, my first call, I went to this man, and he said, I'm dying. I'm going to die. And I got to have a half a pint. So I remembered what my sponsor said, and I ran out, and I got him a half a pint. And this old boy laying on that bed, drank the half pint, went to sleep, and I didn't get to talk to him. <laughs> so he said the next day he called up. And I ran right over there because I wanted to do my duty. And he was worse the second day than he was the first day. And he says, my God, today I am going to die. Would you get me just one half pint? He said, I went out. I got him a half pint. He went to sleep again. So the third day he called and he said, I'm dying. And I said, you go ahead and die. Today I don't bring you the whiskey. Today I'm bringing you the message. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you see, you got to have fun with AA. You know, remember this, if you found it out, you can only get so dry... You can only get so sober in 90 hours. It's supposed to go out of you somewhere or another, and it's all out of you. All the flit's gone. You just just can't get no soberer. And that's when your life begins. That's when you've got to have the happiness. It's a new way of life, everybody keeps saying. Now, you don't have to be happy on AA. For heaven's sake, if you don't want to, you don't have to. God, don't be happy if it upsets you. You You can go around with a long face. You can stand at various affairs and stand there with a long face. And some idiot will come up and say, well, what's the matter with you? And you can say, I can't drink no more. (laughs) If you want to. I'll tell you how you can have some fun. Go to one of these cocktail parties where these gay, merry, mad livers are living. And just stand around and watch them. Don't make fun of them. Don't scare them. I just stand around to watch them. And you keep it up. I'll wait. And don't make fun of social drinkers. Nurse them, my friends. Nurse them. Where the hell we get the new members? You want this thing to die out? Don't scare them off. Let them get good and bad. Then get them. Another thing you can have some fun with, you stand around one of these things and they're all living it up, you know, and say, geez, I'm not getting any place in this whiskey. Give me a martini. Ah! There he goes. Watch him. Go down the street, you'll have him in a day or two. But they'll see you, and there's something wrong with you. You stand around, you're looking happy, and you're smoking, you know, and you light somebody's cigarette, and you haven't anything on the floor, and you're doing all right, just standing around there, and somebody will... Get somebody else and they'll start whispering about you. You can worry them good. You know, just look serene and smile. Then you'll hear them. They'll say, what's that? Uh, it's so long. He goes down to some place where they pray. 
Well, just let them go a little bit, and then you walk up behind them, and in the loudest voice you can say, just say, are you talking about AA? Oh, my God, nigga! <laughs> you scare them half to death because they think we got some kind of a leper colony here or something. <laughs> but you can have a lot of fun with it, and just let them go. But have fun with it. For goodness sakes, don't, don't worry about it. It's like the old fellow that the, the rabbi had the priest over for dinner, and they were having a nice dinner. I beg your pardon, the priest had the rabbi over, and uh, finally the lady that was running the uh, parsonage, I believe they call it, for the uh, the priest brought out the dinner, and they took off the thing, and there was a big ham. And the uh, rabbi said, well, excuse me, I don't want to embarrass you. Anything, but would you mind frying me an egg? I need <laughs> the ham I can't eat. I can't have any ham in our religion. I'm sorry about that. And the priest said, I'm awful sorry we get you an egg. So they had the egg, and on the way home, the rabbi walked home with the priest, and he said, um, I'm glad you came over, Rabbi. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And the rabbi said, yes, I'm sorry about the ham episode, but Father, I'd like to have you come down to my house for dinner some night and bring your wife. <laughs> and the priest said, well, now we're even. We can't, don't get married. <laughs> You don't eat ham. And he said, well, you ought to try that ham. <laughs> anyway, for any of you that are here tonight, my friends, and you're shopping for a cousin of yours that can't handle whiskey, or you're kind of looking around to see how it works for some near and dear friend of yours, <laughs> it's better than ham. Everybody is happy in AA. And if they're not happy in AA, it's not AA. How many of you have said, or how many of you have heard, well, you know, I tried it, but that program don't work for me. And nobody ever said that you were paying attention that it would work for you. Nobody can get sober for anybody. And that's what a lot of people want. You can't buy sobriety. You can't get sober from somebody. And those are the people who say it don't work for me that are over in the various institutions and they are now eating on the state. People who have slips are just as welcome as people who don't. You ever get blackballed in one of those other lodges? That's all, brother. That's the end of you. You never will get back. And the most beautiful thing is you go around in this meeting tonight, you go around in any AA meeting and you go up to somebody and say, it's wonderful, uh, I enjoy it, but how does it work? And the fellows say, well, <laughs> what do you mean, how does it work? How does it work, actually, how does it work? Well, you've got the book and you go to meetings and uh, what the hell do you mean, how does it work? <laughs> say, well, just that. Uh, how's it work? Yeah. Why don't you ask uh, Ole? He's been on two years longer than I have. <laughs> a very pointed example of that, I was down in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, at the atom bomb plant. Now, why I was asked to go down there, I'll never tell you. But they wanted some people from Hollywood, and I guess I was the only one they knew that was free and would do something like that. No, they took Marie Wilson, and yeah, I know why they wanted her, but they... <laughs> They wanted me for, I don't know. Anyway, I sat at this dinner, 
with these people at the atom bomb, and I thought, well, I find out about the atom bomb now. So I asked the fellow next to me, I said, uh, what do you do here? You connect with the atom bomb? And he said, yes, I'm connected with it. And I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, I get away from him. He's new here. <laughs> and I asked two or three people, and I said, well, what do you do? And he said, I'm not sure. And once in a while I wanted to say, well, I work in a certain cottage down here, cottage AF377X9, and we make a whole bunch of stuff, and then we put it in a container, and the Jeep drives by, and we give it to them, and I don't know where they put it. Well, here's a whole bunch of guys making an atom bomb, and they don't know what they're doing. And this one fellow said to me, but there's some kind of energy when it all gets together. He said, it's just phenomenal. And he said, do you realize, Jack, that if there was, if it was possible to get a quart jar of atomic energy together, it would blow up the entire universe. And you know, I wasn't too startled, because I got to thinking of us. It takes a quart of atomic energy to blow up the universe, and for us as alcoholics, it takes one stinking ounce to blow up our entire universe. And if we are not our own universe, what the name of that is? We are fooling with something here that is more potent than this so feared atomic energy. Because one stinking ounce, <coughs> and we're gone. God <laughs> knows when we'll come back out of orbit next time, if ever. <laughs> That's what I like about it. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous. We know the how to handle that now, don't we? <laughs> a is a prideful thing. In my little village in Hampton, Iowa, we had the village drunks. In Dallas, in Fort Worth, in Houston, in Ennis, in every place. They used to have the village drunks, which no more is necessary, is it? Think of this. We are no longer the village drunks. We're no longer social outcasts. We have a prideful thing. And never again should an alcoholic hang his head with shame or her head with shame. Because don't you ever forget that it takes an awful good man and an awful good woman to make the AA program. And it takes an awful sight better one to stick to it. It is a prideful thing. And I am here to tell you I am proud of AAs and I am proud that I was an alcoholic. And I shall thank God until I die for my alcoholism and for AA. The village drunk days ago. Society is accepting it. People now, when they apply for a job on the application blank almost already, they say, do you belong to AA? If you don't, get out. <laughs> and I'll tell you something pretty funny. When an AA goes in to apply for a job, if the boss don't belong, he don't want the job. Out he goes. <laughs> we may start a third party. <laughs> the way somebody's going, they need us. Is anybody going to make a 12-step call on Governor Long? I think that might help. <laughs> now, <laughs> that, no stop. No stop. 
Well, the Democrats will hate me tonight. I was once making a lecture on demon rum, stamping out all drinking, light wines and beer included, and I mentioned in the talk about the spiritual side of Alcoholics Anonymous, and after the meeting, a guy came up to me, and he said, full into my face, he said, you mentioned the spiritual side of Alcoholics Anonymous tonight. And I said, yes, I did. And he said, what other side is it? You know, I didn't have an answer. The spiritual side. Now, is uh, Tom here tonight, the preacher? No, yes. Oh, yes. I'm going to... Uh, oh, he got a job tonight. <laughs> Last night he worked free. Thank goodness Tom's marrying somebody who'll make a couple of bucks this week. <laughs> I would like to tell you that in the olden days in the Methodist Church... I'll let this out. I'd like to really have this kept anonymous. My maiden name is... <laughs> and you just can't get no more Methodist than that. Something that was fun. If we played cards, we were going to go to hell by the next Tuesday. If we were going to dance, that was the very, very end. And they, in the olden days, and all of us know, and so do I, you never will hear better talk than Tom's last night, we all know that they used to shout hellfire and brimstone, thou shalt not, don't you dare act! Well, most of them guys are dead, thank goodness. <laughs> Look in your own city, there's the greatest example you'll ever see with a Methodist preacher. Boy, I wish that old coot we had 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 a little talk with Tom. <laughs> But people say, well, he was raised an odd way, or he was raised a bad way, environment, inheritance, and everything else, which is a lot of bushwah. It's not true. My mother was a devout Methodist, may the Lord rest her soul. She really worked and lived the Methodist Church. If you think I inherited alcoholism, my mother wasn't president of the Hampton, Iowa, not the Franklin County, but my mother was president of the state. W-C-T-U. <laughs> and even an AA can't get that right. <laughs> so don't start that phony inheritance bit with me. But the spiritual side, everybody was scared. I was scared and spooky, you know, but the... Religion stuff. We got no religion here. We got no methods. It's all spiritual. It's like the two little kids were standing on the corner. <laughs> One of them said, "Hey, you pray at your house? Said, pray at our house, brother. We pray all the time. We pray in the morning, at noon, at night, afternoon, supper time, dinner time, on the way to school. You know, school. Pray, pray, pray all the time. We pray at our house." The other little kid said, "He said the other little kid, do you pray at your house?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "When do you pray?" He said, "Night." He says, you just pray at night? He says, yeah, hell, we don't get scared of the dark. <laughs> we didn't either, did we? <laughs> we sure prayed coming out of those blackouts. I was once at a meeting where they asked a man... It was sort of a forum, and they said, do you mind telling us how in Alcoholics Anonymous you pray? Is there any reason you wouldn't want to tell us? No, I wouldn't. I'd be glad to tell you. 
Now this almost sounds like a gag, but I want to tell you, I never forgot it, and I bet you won't either. He said, every morning of my life when I get up, I say, God, don't you and I get in any trouble today that you can't get me out of. <laughs> what is spooky about that? You can't have a more pleasant companionship with the power as we understand it. There was a little girl who wrote a poem once. They parish had a thing, and they uh, had a contest to what the church meant. This little seven-year, must remember, this is a seven-year-old girl who wrote this little poem. She said, every time I pass a church, I stop in for a visit. So when they wheel me in feet first, God won't look down and say, Who is it? <laughs> you don't know. I don't know who's running up there. I was born a Methodist. I told you that. And I'm on my keychain. And this is true. I have here a little token from the Catholics of the Blessed Martin. That's the Catholic uh, I got here... I'm an honorary sister of Israel. <laughs> yeah. But that's the Jewish star of David. I carry that. And I carry the Catholic little man. They get along fine in my pocket. The Methodists, they ain't got anything. A couple of old used hymn books I can't carry, but I got a little blank thing. That's for the Methodists or the Protestants. And I never was more serious in my life. I carry all of these. I don't know who's running it up there, but whoever it is, I'm with her. <laughs> he said, what other side is there, the spiritual side? I got a friend that left a business meeting one time, and he said, they said, where are you going? He said, I've got to go down the street and talk to my partner. He said, what do you mean, you've been a lone wolf and a thief all your life, what do you mean, partner? He said, I mean just that. I want to go down and talk to my partner. And he went down to the church of his choice, knelt on his knees, asked his partner for guidance, went back to the meeting. It's a beautiful thing. And it never happened until we got in AA. Everybody was scared. I was scared in that car, sitting up in the end of that stinking thing. I thought, I bet you God is looking down at me and what he must think of me down here with this flip. At 8 o'clock in the morning, I was scared of it. You know, I heard a phrase once, it wasn't applicable then to alcohol, but it is now. We are facing cunning back in the bar, but as you well know, we can never let our guards down. And it's something to think about, but not to worry about. You can worry yourself nuts. That's why it is you turn your life and your rule over to God as you understand them, and it's got to go because he's with us. This could only be a God-inspired thing. It couldn't be anything else. The tragedies, the sorrows, the misfortunes, the horrors have gone before. This has got to be a happy way of life. We paid to get in here. We paid plenty to get in here. This is not a free thing. But the thing is to forgive yourself and forget it. And that was wonderful. I remember one time we were in San Diego, California at a meeting. I noticed two or three little girls in the front row. They were just little teeny girls and they were all dressed up looking like they were going to a party. Little did I know. 
So at the end of the meeting, the birthday cakes were being given out, and there was one of the dearest, finest, sweetest-looking women I have ever seen with gray hair. She was well-dressed, and she got her first-year birthday cake. And as she accepted the cake, she blew out the candle. She couldn't talk for a minute. And then she finally got a hold of herself, and she looked down at the front row, and she said to these two little girls, You're proud of Grandma tonight, aren't you? And your mother could have been here if Grandma hadn't been drunk and killed her. This is a pretty serious business. But it's a happy thing that we're over it now. The whole burden, and we're supposed to turn the whole burden over to God as we understand Him, and He's waiting, and He wants us. We have to reach our low. We have to reach our low again. It could have been a moral low, a mental low, a physical low, or all. We have to reach it to get here. We have to become no good to ourselves, no good to society, no good to anybody to become a member of this organization. And do you realize that after a few days, weeks, months, or years, in this organization, we came as nothing. And now it's not our duty. It's not our privilege, but it's our pleasure to put our hand up to God as we understand Him. Get a hold of Him. And through us, who had reached our low, 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 can pass a spirit of God as we understand Him, and we can put our hand out and say to somebody, if I can help you with His help, I will. God bless you and thank you so very, very much. Thank you, Jack, for that wonderful message. We'll never forget you. As a matter of fact, we're going to try our best to have you back again sometime. And now we're going to turn this rally over to our old friend, the dual horn blower, Jimmy Joy. Where are you, Jimmy? <laughs>